So Finn, yeah, I don't know at all how to start a podcast about these two films because <laughs> they they are kind of both in many ways films that uh, reject introduction or classification uh, for very different reasons. One yeah. is like that everything they are is something they are not and that it's like touch of evil orson wells film that's kind of not an orson wells film like many orson wells films yeah uh, a film noir that's not quite a film noir mm. uh, a racist film that's not quite <laughs> racist you know and then there's casino royale 1967 <laughs> Which is like a comedy, but not in a James Bond film, <laughs> but, but not, but not, and and like, a Woody Allen film, but not, <laughs> and like a wacky caper, a wacky caper film that is also very boring and also at points a quite straight adaptation of the book. Like yeah. there are sections of Casino Royale 1967 that adhere closer to Ian Fleming's original text than the 2006 Daniel Craig joint. There's one thing that I think you can say that Casino Royale absolutely is, and that is, it is, it's a, it's a British swinging 60s film. I haven't seen that many films from this era, but I've seen like, I've, I've seen enough to know that they all are like this. Part of that may be that because of this film, you know? Well, kind of mm. like this, the Beatles films and the Monkeys film head yeah. are like, because there, there's like the two faces of psychedelia, right? Mm. There is what psychedelia was actually like, which is like the prisoner and record covers and people finding ways to broaden their perception while also listening to the music that was underneath those record covers. And then there is like the thing Austin Powers is parodying, yeah. which is this. And it is so clearly a case of like, a counterculture aesthetic is created, expressed, explained, and maintained. And the last step of that is capitalism being like, oh, right, this whole thing that's supposed to be about kind of stuckest reappropriating of moments and subversion of the world to reveal its absurdity. No, we can make, you know, women in underwear dance in front of blobs of lava lamp-like color and be like, oh yeah, this is what the kids like, you yeah. know? So what is, talk to me about your psychedelic experiences. What's the most psychedelic experience you've personally had? Uh, you know, I think you might have asked me this before. And I, I, I've asked you the most out of control of your body you've ever been, or like the most medicated, and the answer was like a really strong, like paracetamol, right? Yeah. I, I think... My answer to this probably be like when I've been very tired. Oh uh, yeah, that is that's also what. You yes, like. yeah. Uh, and that's not a crime. No, oh, it is in Sleeptopia, where you got to be asleep for eighteen hours a day. Is that where you? No, I'd never go there. Seems terrible. Uh, and there's also like if you were a pilot, <laughs> you know, or yeah, uh, an emergency room doctor. <laughs> Or um, someone whose job it is to not go to sleep, like, for instance, that's what Sandman, the Neil Gaiman comic, is about. It's a mainly work-a-day kitchen yeah. sink thing about a man who can't sleep. That's probably There's probably an issue of Sandman somewhere in that 75 that 
Well, I mean, in Preludes and Nocturnes, there's a character of Unity Kincaid who's like, who who is like asleep for like seventy years. Yeah, which is like the opposite of that. Hmm. Let's see. Is there anyone Santa who can't sleep? Yeah, I think. Oh, I think also also in in Preludes and Nocturnes, there's the. You know, he, he's like the it's like dream is kidnapped by that like Alistair Crowley type guy. Oh uh, yeah, I think. Crellister Owley, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Like it is a name. Not it is. Sandman is very good. Yeah. Um, I think he. I think he curses that guy's son to not be able to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So when you've been real tired, how did that psychedelia manifest in your life? No, no, it doesn't really happen that often. Oh yeah, no. But like, think of a time you've been real tired, and like, did did you see a spider, and we're like, oh no, that spider is actually my hand. To, to you want to do a me? retake on this? No, no, no. no You're keeping the sounds in? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only noticeable one, and it came in a pause. Okay, explain to the audience what that noise is. Uh, there's a crocodile nearby. Oh, no. Okay, and what are we going to do about this crocodile, fan? Uh, we've got to run in a zigzag. Okay, we're doing that now. Oh, it stopped snapping. Sweet as. Oh, why are you sighing? We're running for our lives. Oh, no, Finn, you've fallen. Oh, I'm dead. Uh, Terrible. Okay. Terrible news. Hey, crocodile, can I have a word with you, please? Stop snapping those scissors and speak to me using your human mouth. How do you know I could do this? Everyone knows if, if Steve Irwin taught anyone anything, and he did, it's that crocodiles have two mouths. One is their crocodile mouth that they, you know, they chomp with. And they have a human mouth secreted within that. Like, that's what... Guys, he's found us out. Get him. No, but it's widely... (laughs) Okay, guys, I'm happy to have you all here, all crocodiles. I'd I'd love to just talk. I don't... How do you guys feel? This is our first interface between our races. And I want to ask... How do crocodiles feel about humans generally? Uh, pretty, pretty negatively. Why? Uh, you, you guys are like, uh, uh, you guys are like weird. What is it that's weird about what we do to you guys? Uh, like personally, uh, I don't like being turned into boots. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's... So we, when when we're just like hanging out as crocodiles, we uh, very rarely uh, turn each other into boots. Yeah, yeah, I can. It's understand. sort of like a, sort of considered a faux pas. I've got I've got something. I just there's something I want to bat back your way. Do you know what humanity's perspective on crocodiles is? Uh, is like oh those guys make some good boots. No, it is uh those those ter- terrifying scaled torpedoes. Um, love to chomp us up, uh, surprisingly and suddenly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you got us. Pick up, pick up. And I just like we will stop wearing you as boots if you guys like. We will. What do you feel about only eating people that we presented to you? I've, I thought that's what we had been doing. You, you guys like. Okay, explain that. Well, we, I, we 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 only eat people who like, you know, come into our rivers or whatever. And we 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 personally, I mean, just speak for me, can't can't speak for all the, all the, all the guys. But yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I thought I thought they, yeah, I thought you've been sending them. I think you're lying. I think this is dissembly and falsehood. No, I wouldn't do There's that. There's no mate. way you could. Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that to a friend. Uh, so you think we're friends? Yeah. Do you do you want to join me in the first human crocodile hug? Yeah, let's give it yeah. a shot. Okay. Okay, bring it in. Bring it in. I've got him. I've got the leader. Kill the rest now. <laughs> I'm rolling you. Rolling you over water. You're drowning. You're drowning. You're drowning. I've killed every other crocodile on earth, and only you, their leader, returns. Finally, I will have gotten the scourge of crocodiles off the face of the planet. And then, flashback, flashback, flashback. Euthydean, age about three, walking through Wellington Zoo with a. Uh, his his grandmother and his grandfather. This is little does he know, but this is probably the only real memory he'll ever make with his grandfather, who who would be taken sick back in in Cornwall pretty soon. And they're walking along. Hey, look out of there! There's a there's a horde of there's a horde of crocodiles on the loose running through the zoo. Well, uh, I. I... <laughs> that would have been funny if it it happened, but I am I am. Sh- <laughs> I am sharing this true thing that happened to me. Because oh, okay, I was trying to set up the opening from Cruella. <laughs> um, will, your, will your parents get, will your grandparents get chased off a cliff by crocodiles and that's why you hate crocodiles? Well, it's very, it's very similar. Like in, in the movie, that's what happened. But in this version, you know, we're walking along, we're next to the, there's a big chain wall between us and the water. It's called a fence. <laughs> No, but it was like a cage. Like the whole cage was chain links. Like if you imagine a fence, but as a cube, but the bottom is marsh. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's rolling his eyes back in his head. (laughs) Even though in the past he's imagined, asked me to imagine a very similar thing, but made of glass (laughs) to to describe the ending of um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. (laughs) And out of this limpid water jumps a crocodile at three-year-old Euthydean, terrifying an image that's still in his mind now. And his grandfather holds him as he cries. And as he cries, he says, Grandfather, I know you will die soon. (laughs) And you have taught me the one thing, which is crocodiles are evil and I'll kill all of them, all of them, all of them. And then we cut to my head floating next to the head of the leader of the crocodiles slow fade do you know what needle drop plays over the end credits uh crocodile rock who let the crocodiles out <laughs> who who who, yeah. who let and the a, crocodiles out it's a remix you did where it's just you saying crocodile <laughs> one of my favorite things and i think maybe the first thing i ever discovered on youtube and it just sticks in my brain is something that someone has labeled I kissed a girl. No, I kissed a boy brackets remix of Katy Perry <laughs> song. And it is literally I kissed a girl, but every time the word girl comes up, the, the sound stops and one person going girl, boy, <laughs> I kissed a boy. Yeah. The single most forward of the comedy experience of my life was on the children's afternoon variety comedy show studio two mm. in, in new zealand on one of the episodes 
from like the the first or second year of a show, just after Holler Back Girl came out. Ah, yeah. They did a video of it. They played one time, which <laughs> I, I saw this once when I was six. Yeah. I still think about it. And it's never left your mind. Yeah, I still think about it a couple times a week, which is they just played the video for Holler Back Girl, except every time that uh, someone, uh, every time uh, they said girl, it was replaced with someone saying gnome, and a picture of a garden gnome <laughs> popped up on the screen. Okay, and is that good or bad? I cannot tell. <laughs> I like I, I I can't tell if it is the worst, laziest bit, or like or incredibly avant garde. I choose to believe that it's incredibly avant garde. I don't like. What guard is this avant garde avant of? Uh, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> uh, would you call Gwen Stefani a guard? Yes, I mean at, at the time, certainly. What is she now? Mm. Don't speak. I know just what you're mm. thinking. So pl- please stop it. Don't tell me. Because it not. Don't speak. Mm. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watch number 58 on the Sight and Sound list, Touch of Evil, Orson Welles' brutally bleak noir about crime and corruption on the US-Mexico border. Our second film this week is Casino Royale 1967, a movie with five credited directors, 11 credited writers, and about three good jokes. Hey, Finn. Yes. My name is Uther Shite. I'm Finn Sound Nicholas, and welcome to episode three of Podson Wells Cast, <laughs> our mini podcast inside Shite and Sound, where we talk about Orson Wells and his films. Yeah, we, we're, we're going to be missing a few along the way, but I'm sure we'll mop them up eventually. We'll get yeah. you F's for fake, which it's, is it's lower just, down the list. Just F for fake. No. Hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll no, get... I'm talking about the fourth film in the series. After F is two fake, F is three fake, three f- three FES, and then F is four fake. Yeah. We'll get to you, Too Much Johnson. <laughs> we'll get His, to uh, you. early uh, silent uh, comedy. Oh, yeah, that never got released. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was made for a stage, it was made to be shown like during the intermission of a stage show, and then the stage show never happened, and the film wasn't properly released until like 2013. So Orson Welles wrote and directed Touch of Evil, yep. adapting the Whit Masterson novel, Badge of Evil. Yes. Badge, great word, should be in more titles. Yeah, um, but no, not only did he write and direct it, he also uh, starred in it. Well, and not in that order. Mm. is is I, I presume this is famous Hollywood lore, but, but Orson Welles was, was, was cast as the antagonist of the film detective hank quinlan yeah the the head of uh police in mm. a small mexican border town which well he's in the he's in a he's he's a head of police on the american side oh right yes no it's heston who is yeah yeah anyway is the lawyer on the other side my apologies uh uh 
in Heston Charlton, hmm. uh, famous from oh, just Bo- bowling for Columbine, <laughs> just really wanting as many people as possible to have access to murder devices, yep. and thinking that's a good thing. Um, he signed on, misunderstanding, thinking that Wells was directing. He was like, oh, oh, "Okay, I want to be in a Wells film." Yeah. And to keep him happy, they gave the film to Orson <laughs> Welles. So do you, do, you, do, you, do you know who it was supposed to be first? Mm, um, the implication, one second. Um, but, 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 uh, they didn't really have some. I don't okay. think he really. Yeah, the, the, that name doesn't really come up. Yeah. Uh, there were already drafts of the script that Welles heavily rewrote mm. to the point of it happening during production famously one night he invented marlena dietrich's character wrote all her scenes called marlena dietrich (laughs) and was like do you want to be in this film she was like yes and he was like okay tomorrow go get costumed get on a plane and we'll film your scenes tomorrow night they filmed all of her scenes the next night and she's in the film shit and she's like like the fourth or fifth lead. Yeah, she's in like four, four or five scenes. But they're all there is the one location scene, and then the rest are all in her house. Yeah, yeah. So like you understand how they did it, but yeah. it's still like this is this is a film. This is the film where, in a lot of ways, Wills was playing the game the most, and that like his first day of shooting, his first two shots were too easy to get close ups. So they got them in half an hour and all the spies the studio had spent to watch over Orson Welles were like, oh no, it looks like he's doing the same thing. And then he used the rest of that first day to shoot one shot that covered 11 pages of dialogue, (laughs) which meant that in his first day, he'd only achieved three shots, but had done the first week's worth of shooting. Right, yeah. So he was kind of on both sides. Yeah. Um and 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 th- th- this is really the like last American film he does. Is it is the last yeah. American film he does? It was ten years since he did Macbeth, which was his previous one adapting his stage production. And then after mm. this, it's all it's all Europe all the time, baby. Yeah, I mean he in in the in the seventies he he comes back to try and get the other side of the wind done in America, even though that has lots of foreign yeah. funding, and, 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 and he, he, he dies with that film unfinished. Yeah, and Quixote as well had, oh, right, had yeah. um, of one of the several, had American money in it mm. at, at different points, and like, Quixote figures actually pretty largely into this, um, because he, once he had shot and cut the film, he went to shoot some more in Mexico. Right. And that's when Universal looked at the film and thought, ah, uh, Guys, is it just me or is this too good? Right, because that's also what happened with the fucking Magnificent Ambersons. Yep. Where, where he, he finished filming that, and then the, then the studio sent him down to Brazil to make a movie there. Yeah. And while he was in Brazil, they, they recut his film. But uh, this time he was out of the country on, on his own behest yeah, yeah. To, to do his own project. Uh, and, like, the story from Universal's end is just like, oh, he wasn't, like, we had a date to meet, and he wasn't here, so we cut mm. the film. Uh, and I can actually kind of understand that, but then they had by almost all accounts, like they had not cut much time out of the film, but they'd heavily reworked it. Heston was asked to come in for a day of reshoots and didn't want to, to the point where he simply paid for them not to do the reshoot. Like he was like, what is if we booked the reshoot 
and I cancelled, how much would it cost in cancellation fees of everyone else? Yeah. And they're like, $4,000. He was like, okay, let's pretend that happened and I'll just give you $4,000. Um, and so th- they were intending on changing it a lot more. Hmm. And I, I have not seen, it is now quite hard to find the original cut. Yeah. Uh, I recently ordered a Blu-ray, which has, I think, four separate versions of, yeah. of Touch of Evil. And yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to... Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to try and check out some of the, some of the differences. And uh, Wells uh, and the the restoration we watched begins with a title card explaining the like Wells saw this re-edit and was like, "Oh, I don't like this." And overnight wrote a sixty-page memo, being like, "Oh, please make these changes." Yeah. Um. And, and for a long time, that memo was thought to be a a, a myth because mm-hmm. the changes were not applied until in the nineties it was found. Um but in Charlton Heston's archive. Right. So, you know, I presume between just some loose ammunition <laughs> and a mine. Yeah. Just just hanging out there and a team of restorers recut, remixed the film, including getting like Heston came back in oh, yeah. and redubbed some lines from from the reinserted footage. And one of the people who, who came in to like re-edit the film was Walter Murch who worked a lot with Francis Ford Coppola and like one of one of like the great film editors. Yeah. So we we watched the 1998 cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. is like there are generally two cuts. Mm. We watched the most recent version which I think has been restored a little more yeah. and I think they've inserted maybe a couple of shots that were only recently like within the last 20 years discovered. Okay. But it is uh, uh, I can understand there being four cuts. Yeah. But there are like mainly two, you know, in the way that there are actually like 17 cuts of Blade Runner, but really there are three that you think about. Right, yeah. Um, Or two with Brazil, anyway. or And it seems insane to me that they could look at this film if we can agree that we are seeing Wells' vision of the film. Because it just seems like an A-class pot boiler like it's an incredible work of noir thriller storytelling that cracks along is always legible is always fun there's nothing artsy about it yeah you know there's not like i mean there are the two or three scenes which are done in like in in big long takes which but, and, but, and, but, like, but even, in 1956 like that like you know, scenes being done in single sustained masters is hardly insanity, yeah. you know? Maybe apart from like The Stranger, which was also Wells just trying to do a like do a straight ahead studio picture. Yeah. This is like the least experimental of his films. It's just like a very, very well made noir film. Yeah, and people you raised while we were watching it that people call it the last noir even if it is not film noir or it's the end of film noir, it is a film that demands comparison to film noir. Yeah. It's incredibly film noir in the way it looks to the point of parody at points like coulda, shoulda, woulda, you can't get any more canted than any of the <laughs> angles in this film, especially in close-ups. Yeah. You know? A lot of they're, people they're, being they're, really they're... distorted by wide lenses. Yeah, there are like a bunch of shots near the end of a film where it seems like they've attached the camera to Orson Welles' stomach and it's like it's looking up at his face. Yeah. And it's... the way that Orson Welles fills the screen in this movie is Incredible. so incredibly menacing. Yeah. yeah. 
there's something beautifully humble uh, about, about the fact that like he is under like three hours of makeup in this yeah. film. Not, you know, not, not a traditionally beautiful or slim man, but bulked out into this like beige adipose swimming yeah and he, goblin. He, and he he's he's playing someone who's probably like like who's probably like 20 years older than yeah. than, than he was at the time but like th- this like like hank quinlan is what people think about when they think about orson wells yeah like if, if you if you're not a film person and you think and someone sees the name orson wells you you think of this sort of like except he's advertising cheap red wine right? yeah yeah but but you you think about the, this sort of like this all like this like sweaty like kind of puffed up monster man yeah when like he he never looked like that even in the like 60s and 70s when when he like did put on a lot of weight he would never allow himself to like let go of the air of being like a dashing gentleman that's always what he wanted to be well and he like he what he always is is elegant yes yes that's 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 what i was trying to um uh, yeah is that he he always cuts a figure and he has just dedicated so much of his life uh creatively to being as inelegant as possible yeah and like that is what like a lot of Kane is about it's obviously what him and this is about yeah, but also what the times of midnight is about uh it's a it's about what if is five fake is about no that that's about something very slightly different <laughs> but only very slightly but he's also not the le- like yeah he's the villain of the film there are large chunks of it he's not in he hangs over it and in the lead role is Charlton Heston, giving quite like an odd performance. Heston said his one regret, his biggest regret in his filmic career, is playing this Mexican character, which he is noticeably browned up for. They've darkened his hair. They've given him a black mustache. Yeah. He's like, I should have done it in a Mexican accent, <laughs> which really feels like a sliding doors moment of being like, oh, that, yeah. so that's how this film would be bad. Yes. That that that, that 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 that's how you make sure this film was not on the side and sound list. <laughs> yeah, and which seems insane, and it and it's also because he is playing such a Charlton Heston character, the straight and narrow guy, this Mexican lawyer. He's got a big trial, caught up in all this horrific corruption mm-hmm. in America, and it just feels so. Oh, I don't know. It just. He he feels like of a noir film. He feels like a very modern protagonist, mm. but that's because he is semi invisible and only a way to meet the world. Like I think Janet Lee plays his wife, who who's an American, yeah, which I believe is an inverse in the book. I believe the wife is Mexican and the Heston character is okay. American, but uh, I mean United States American, yeah. Um. And like I think like Janet Lee probably shot a week on this, but feels more like the lead than Heston is. And, and that's because she gets to meet most characters. And like he does, but we're just there to meet them through him. Like he is Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's an empty we're, we're, vessel. We're, we're, yeah, whereas where she has uh quite a lot of experiences in this movie. Well uh, this is the start of the of of the Sight and Sound Top One Hundred, uh, Janet Lee has a better time in hotels duology. Yeah, but the less said about 
Janet Lee films. Come on, come on, come on. The fog. She 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 plays an old woman in the fog. Does she have a list of? Does she? Oh, fuck. But but enough. Yeah. About mm. um. Oh, she's in a Columbo. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. You yeah, got that to look nice. forward to. Um. So Finn. Thanks for making the tea. In it, I'll have a spot of lemon and just a touch of evil. What is the plot of the touch of evil? So, we're in... Thanks for making the tea, Finn. Yeah, you want to... No, no, no. You want to go for a third take? No, no, it's a runner now, so I'll bring it it back at the end. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it'll be pretty funny. Is this, uh, like, how how far? How far is it going to run? Is it going to go like a little bit or going to go like pretty far? Like, I know you think you're making a fool of me, but the only fool I see in this room is the fool on the hill. A song I wrote <laughs> once the world <laughs> forgot about the Beatles. Yeah, do you want, do you want to perform for us now? Yeah. Yeah, with... Jim, there's a fool on the hill and he's been fooling like a hill. <laughs> <laughs> And I only want to fool my hill that I want to him fool any fool. Beautiful stuff. Their song is a classic and I'm sick of you attacking. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just as good as any of John Hinckley Jr. songs. (laughs) Okay. okay. So yesterday, that film exactly, except here, <laughs> everything is the same except his cover of Beatles songs is just fucking bullshit. <laughs> so it is just like he goes like yesterday, um, uh, ooh, uh, some games we pl- play, and Ed Sheeran is like, oh mate, they always told me someone would come. That would be funny. I think that'd be quite entertaining, yeah. almost as entertaining as the plot of the film, A Touch of Evil. The touch of evil. Touch of evil. Touche evil. evil. So, we're in Mexico. Oh, is that? It's uh, just south of the United States of America. Oh, USA land. I pledge yeah. allegiance to the flag, it's a country, et cetera, et cetera. It's a country in North America that people always think is in Central or South America because of racism. Well, Central America is just is for white people. The United States, Canada... Well, no, yeah, no, no, North America. Yeah, yeah, that's like, what I, that's what I said. No, you said Central America. No, C- Central America is just the parts of North America so where non-white people live. stop interfering with the recording, so it goes back and it <laughs> makes me say the wrong thing in the past. I'm so sick of you using your techno psychic psycho techno powers. Techno, just combine it to one thing. Just oh, techno. Yeah, right. My favorite music genre. When did you first become a cyberpunk? Uh, well, it's a long story. Oh, yeah. Well, we're in this well, so you might as well tell me, innit? So, uh, there's this movie, right, called Strange Days? Yeah. And uh, one time I got Strange Days and then became a cyberpunk. So. And then uh, I had to fight, I had to like, after I got Strange Days, I had to fight Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, yeah. In, uh... The Matrix. Yeah, that's the one I didn't want to say, because that's, like... Oh, okay, the harsh in, realm. In, in Shadowrun. <laughs> and, yeah, just in 
happy town. Yeah, me, me, me and Johnny, me and Johnny Mnemonic went on a shadow run. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> do you think Fuck that you, cyberpunk in most cyberpunk patch meetings they're like okay so it's like imagine now but everything's neon and all the guns are blasters and oh fucking oh, fuck i've got a wife <laughs> <laughs> and is he man or is he replicant like he hunts well but oh, like, oh, i i, I I, I, I could have seen my children this morning. Please, please. Mr. Warner Brothers. Oh, I, we oh. keep having suicides in the cyberpunk writer's room. Just what? Why? Why would I? Why would I do this when I could? I could. No, I, Finn. Could, I could. I could go. I could go for a swim. I don't even like no, swimming, okay. but I could go for a swim right now. Do you know what you could do, Finn, now that would save us? You could tell me the plot of Touch of Evil. So, there's a car. Oh, boy. Where is Where? The car. It's in Mexico. Oh, where's that? Uh, it's in, <laughs> it's, it's in a very, it's in like, it's, it's, oh, it's just south of uh, the United States of America. Oh, right. Near the wall. Yes. But here's, here's the twist. Yeah. This is in the 50s. There's no wall yet. Oh, I mean, I presume there was some wall yet. There's like what, fence that can. One of Charlton Heston's lines in the movie is talking about how the border between Mexico and the United States is the longest un- unguarded border in the world. Ah. How, you know, how, how ties have changed. For the better, though. So, there's a car. <laughs> it's in Mexico. It's in a, it's in a border town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens is... You see a guy run, run, running along the streets, running like along like alleys and stuff. Okay. The camera's following him. Oh, yeah. It's tracking him. Many quick cuts, I no, presume. No, no. One what? long tracking shot. No. But, but here's the thing. It starts off as a tracking shot on the ground. But then as he opens the boot of his car and puts a bomb inside, it pulls up into a crane shot. Ah, so they on a drone, I presume? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Just went on and on and on. <laughs> oh, right, right. Now, good joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Who? Who, 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 who? Who is the cinematographer on this? I know, like Johnny Eyes. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> John, 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 Jonathan Eyes. It's Johnny Ives' brother. This film was shot by a guy called Russell Mitty, who isn't like a super famous cinematographer, but he shot over 100 movies. And a lot of them are real good. Like yeah. he, he, so he he shot Touch of Evil and The Stranger for Wells. He shot Spartacus. Uh, he shot Bring Up Baby. He shot a bunch of films for Douglas Sirk, including uh, Written on the Wind, All That Heaven Allows, Imitation of Life. Like a bunch of very, very good-looking films. Yeah. Uh, he also shot The Misfits for John Huston. Yeah, just like a very, very good cinematographer. Yeah, so the the... So, as I said, starts tracking this guy along through the streets, through the alleys. Then, as he puts the bomb in the car, pulls up into a big crane shot. The uh, uh, then, as as he runs off, uh, two people come and get into the car. There is uh, there is an older man and a younger woman. Yeah, they 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 get in the car, they drive off, and then the the camera swings around the building and follows them back down onto the ground and and along the street, and. Like the, 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 this, this shot's like five minutes long, right? It's like three and a half, I oh. think. Yeah, 
But yeah, it, it's a very long, intricate tracking shot, which follows this car as it drives towards and across the US-Mexico border. And during this shot, we are introduced to Charlton Heston uh, and, and Janet Lee, who are a couple of newlyweds. Uh, Heston is... They're, they're about to go on their honeymoon across yeah. town, which is across the border. Yeah, uh, 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 Heston is a is a Mexican prosecutor, mm-hmm. and uh, and and Janet Lee is uh, from Philadelphia, and that's about from from a from a good family. And that's about all we ever know about her. Yeah, but she's certainly like he is town mouse and she's city mouse. Is yeah. is the opposition in their relationship? Yeah, yeah. And uh, then, so yeah, so. Uh, so j- 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 just as it seems, this the this shot's going to go on forever, and that bomb is never going to explode. <sighs> Blimmin' hate that. Ugh. The uh, uh, the 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 car finally drives across the border, and uh, then drives off screen, and then uh, there is an insert shot of a car in a field exploding. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't see the explosion. The explo- We see the wreckage hit the ground on fire yeah. because the explosion is just. So Heston and Lee being just coated in white light as to they part of one of the slapstick bits at the end of Casino Royale 1967. And then saying, that car just exploded. Uh, and then there's a lot of people being like, you see that? A car exploded. Oh, yes, look, a car exploded. Yep. It's, that's about, there, there are, in this film, I think a thing to flag is a lot of white people playing Mexicans. Yep. And it is not good at no. all. I it shouldn't be allowed. And as much as I love this film in Orson Welles, it doesn't get away with it. Yeah. Charlton Heston is playing Mike Vargas. Yeah. And generally is playing Susie Vargas. They run over to the exploded car. They run past a public water feature which is on fire. Uh, because I assume uh in in this part of uh in this part of uh, now texas uh it it's just cheaper to pump uh, uh it's cheaper to pump oil out the ground than it is to pump water yeah uh yeah they do they run over there there's 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 a bunch of mishigos i'm going to start wrong in yiddish <laughs> that, that's, that's that's my okay, thing now go dance. uh <laughs> go on no, keep doing it no. tell, uh, tell me more tell me more like did she have a car and uh, not 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 anymore it uh, blew up oh right yeah sure yeah yeah they go and they go and shoot the exploded car it turns out that uh, uh when the car exploded uh, the people in it died yeah oh, and no. uh, uh it was it was a guy and his mistress yeah uh, the guy's daughter is brought over to the flaming car. Yeah, to to, to the to the smoking <laughs> charred wreck of her father. You're like, hey, is is this him? And she's like, I don't know, probably. And, and who's doing? Who's showing that to her? It's Joko. Yeah, it's old Joseph Cotton, who is in this movie in two scenes, uncredited. Yeah, because it's an Orson Welles movie, so Joko's got to be in it. Joko, and by Joko, be in an Oso film. And by Joko, I mean Jonathan Colton. <laughs> Singer songwriter. Oh yeah, not extraordinary. Joseph no. Uh, okay. I mean, I mean the the proprietor, the proprietor and host of of the Joko Cruise. 
I mean, I presume that hasn't happened recently. No, I think they had to cancel it last year, and I don't think we're doing it this year. Why didn't they? Do, why did they cancel last year? Uh, because they knew that John Roderick was going to get cancelled. Oh, and yeah. yeah, they could. It is when when it's very hard to express when reading teen leave tea leaves exactly what being dad means. <laughs> oh, poor poor John Roderick got his podcast taken away from him. And then the Joko Cruise cut ties with him. Did it? Yeah. For, oh, okay. You can't, you can't say anything these days. The story as he presented it online is obviously unacceptable. But also, I just presume... So it's also obviously an exaggeration. Yeah, no, but like... Uh, yeah, no, it, like... Uh, I just... What are we going to do about all these people like lice swarming the planet, filling it with their thoughts, their empty, nothing, dunking thoughts? Well, you know what I've been thinking? I've been thinking, someday a hard rain's going to come and bottle the scum off the streets. Finn, I've had an idea, and I've been talking to my friend Charles Dance about it. You know how there have recently been titans? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know godzilla the mutos godzilla for i think i could talk vera farmiga into joining us and using her talking to titans tech to take out the world okay sounds good okay great let's do it but um bum well they're all at, at the smoking uh actually still still burning wreckage of this bomb attack the american police officers uh start talking about Hank, or Detective Quinlan, who is their boss, the local head of the detectives. He's like a mythical figure, and that uh, he he's someone who who always gets his man. Yeah. And uh, after a couple of minutes of them talking about where's Quinlan, when's he getting here, a car pulls up and out gets Orson Welles in uh, in a in a fat suit and uh, and uh, crazy jowl makeup. Yeah, he looks like. Uh... His body is an Easter Island statue. Yeah. Like, he, this is a solid man. There are three different movies written, directed by, and starring Orson Welles, where he plays a much older man. Yeah. There's there's Citizen Kane, there's this, and there's The Immortal Story. Yeah. Which I haven't seen, but I've seen the stills from. And in in all three of them, he he has a very different idea of what he's going to look like as an old man. I think think Kane probably gets it the closest. Yeah, but it's still not yeah. yeah but yeah in 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 kane his like his vision of himself as as like a middle as like an as an older man is someone who kind of stayed basically the same but just like lost his hair and and became much more frail i mean in 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 this his i mean he 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 he, he, get, he gets part of it right in, in this, which is, uh, he was right, but he was uh, going to put on uh, a massive amount of weight uh, in, in the next uh, 20 years. But, but like, as, as we said earlier, like, e- e- even in the even in the 70s, no matter what happened to Orson Welles in real life, he always still looked dapper. Yeah. He, he, he always had a cape on. He was always ready to do some fucking magic tricks. <laughs> but, and, as we will discuss. Yes. But, but, but in, in this, it, yeah, his 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 version of his his idea for what quinlan looks like is is just like sl- is like sloppy yeah. and disgusting he's a mess yeah his it, it, corruption is seeping out of him yeah. and it is just the sense of like the moment you see him you're like 
oh, he's bad. <laughs> he's a bad man. They say he always gets his man, but he's, oh, I don't like this guy. And then, of course, the rest of the film is about subverting that and turns out he never plants evidence and there isn't a uh, crazy catalogue of characters in the underworld of, of this small area. So we've, we've, we've seen two, uh, uh, well, we've seen like three Orson Welles performances now for this podcast. We've seen them in like three different modes and the third man, he is just sort of like pure movie star charisma. Yep. In 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 Touch of Evil, he is he is like very character actory. He is and he is he he is inside this like he he is he is fully existing inside this incredibly unpleasant character that you do not want to be around. But he is not at but all, he is no. always incredibly compelling in his in his like disgusting slovenliness. Yeah, and then in Casino Royale, we have. The 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 like off the Orson Welles of the sixties and seventies, where he just wants to do magic tricks and and he, he and annoy Peter Sellers. Yeah, both and, things I think we can agree are basically good. Yeah, and and he he's he's still got the he's still got the like movie star charisma, but he he no longer has the movie star looks. Yeah. So w- which like which which type of which type of performance do do you do you prefer from Orson Welles? I like it is hard to argue with the third man. Mm. Uh, I think, and I and I think Welles, like my take on Touch of Evil is that part of why, uh, in some ways, it's my favorite piece of Welles directing, um, is that he is best. I think when he is working with other creatives above mm. the line right um and like obviously in third man's case he's he was just an actor yeah yeah as much as uh ink has been spilled over that the one paragraph in the film he wrote um and but like kane is kane oh not that we've talked about kane um in what's your other fucking in, uh 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 uh, C- Casino Royale. Casino Royale, right? Yes. And he, Casino he, Royale, he, he's he, having he's fun. Easily the best part of that movie. Yeah, but that is still, yeah, no, he's the best thing in Casino Royale. But that is a real light. Would yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've had my lead legs broken, which means the good thing is I can fit all the trousers I wore as a <laughs> child. You know, like yeah. it's one of those situations. It's a silver lining. Yeah, you can start shopping at Pumpkin Patch again. And I, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> it'd be nice. Yeah. No, it's very expensive there. Um, you, know, you think dressing yourself as a child would be cheap, but yet, well, it's um, too bad. And, and and yeah, and and this it is kind of hard to process him as Quinlan as a performance. Mm. Because it is so clearly just like an emanation of him, and as as a being of control within the narrative, like he to me kind of sits in the same world as Gordon Cole in Twin Peaks, <laughs> and that there there's a C.S. Lewis literalism where I'm like Quinlan is kind of the director being in the film, mm. and, and so and quickly they 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 find a suspect, and they search his house. And the scene where they search his house uh, was the other thing they shot on that first day, yeah. 11 pages, all one take. There are two times within it 
where Charlton Heston goes outside and um, uh, uh, talks to people, blah, 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 during which Quinlan plants evidence. Yeah. And, and so within this virtuosic well, moment. And so, uh, the, yeah, so they, 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 they decide to, uh, uh, they, they decide to check out the local mine. Yeah. Uh, because the bomb used in the attack uh, was made of dynamite. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get dynamite at a mine. So they go and uh, try and uh, find out if, if anyone's been fired recently and someone has. It's a, it's a young uh, Mexican man called, last name Sanchez. Yeah, Manolo Sanchez, played yeah. by Victor Milan. Yeah, yeah. So he he was recently fired from 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 his quarry, and he is also dating the daughter of the man who got blown up. Yeah, um, who we we met when she was asked to identify the bodies. Yeah. And so there is this in this bravura moment of, of directing when you watch these three bits, knowing that the, it is one take, um, that they did on their first day. And it is one of those roving, never-ending masters like we saw in, um, oh, come on, Mitsuguchi's work. Sancho the Bailiff. I know, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's also more generally yeah. in his work. I remembered Sancho Deu's title. Um, is that it's all these people essentially perpetually falling into and totally naturally incredible compositions around Orson Welles. And as he directs everyone in character around the space in Mm. front of and behind of it. And when we break away is when we learn the actual bits of information. When we see, we follow Heston for a moment to look in the box, um, to know there's nothing in there. So he knows it's planted. Yeah. But then we return and, and, and that becomes a creepier and much more abstract and in some ways more film noir moments within these one But then there are these just incredible like Renoir-style compositions of people being arranged. Uh, and, and like uh, it's an incredible moment. It's a great piece of directing. And for me, it like solidifies this link between Orson Welles' energy and this being like him as actor in this film is not in any way distinct from writer as director he's like right, yeah. they're all emanations of the same creative force within it um which i think is interesting but that like that is this is our first piece of evidence that quinlan is not on the straight and narrow that they have uh that that quinlan and his buds have you know they like to plant evidence mm. when they suspect someone, just so they can get it all done quickly and tidy. Yeah, is this a Clint Eastwood movie? Because there's a lot of railroading in it. Oh yeah. After the scene where Vargas uh, sees Quinlan beat up the suspect and then frame him, he decides to start looking into Quinlan more because the thing about Vargas is he's someone who upholds the law. That that that, that that's his job. Yeah, and he's going to do it, and he's going to do it within the bounds of the law. Uh, unlike Quinlan, who Wants to uphold the law, uh, through just like in, in, through in, any means he has at his disposal. Well, and they they both have very distinctly different views of their relationship to the law. Vargas yeah. thinks that the law is the thing that has power over him. Yes, while Quinlan thinks he is the one who determines what the law should be. Yeah, we should also uh, say that earlier in the film, uh, j- just after the explosion, Vargas sends Susie back to their hotel. And when she's going, when she is on the way back to the hotel, she is tailed by a a young Mexican man, uh, who 
who says that he has a message for 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 her husband, and then uh, takes her uh, to meet a uh, 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 to to meet someone called Uncle Joe Grande. Yeah, who uh, is, is played by Akeem Tamaroff, and uh, uh, and we 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 find out at, at the beginning of the film that 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 Vargas is currently uh, uh, that that Vargas is currently involved. In a criminal case against the Grande crime family, yeah, and they're a Mexican crime family, but there are a few of them who who live in America that he doesn't know about, and uh, and Uncle Joe is is one of those. So Susie uh, meets uh, meets Uncle Joe, and he uh, threatens her a bunch. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, it's a pretty good scene. Yeah, but it's you know I I wouldn't like to be in it. You know, there are no. so many scenes in film where like. When when Willy Wonka is taking those kids and and he he and drinks he's, he's murdering them systematically <laughs> and he drinks from that cup and then takes a bite out of it. I've always wanted to know what that was like. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you go ask Gene Wilder? Because I think he would be daunted by my recent awarding of the title of Gene Wildest, <laughs> and he always thought that. You know, once he'd killed Gene Wilde in that battle with the flaming sword. Yeah, he thought that no one was ever going to be Gene Wilder than he was. But no. And I I only did it out of respect for the man. You know, I only mm. did it out of love. But still, I I worry that he's not in good health. No, I, I, I believe he is, in fact, dead. Oh, uh, I'd suspected as much, but... Mm. And I and I hate to be right. Yeah. But that it's a, it's a real curse. That's on me, isn't it? Like I you could see the wild draining out of him as I absorbed it to become the gene wildest. Yeah. And I I just wanted to honor him. And by following it the only way I know how, arcane ritual, I doomed him. <laughs> And... This is the David Bowie thing all over again. <laughs> and and stop the take. <laughs> and great. Uh, no, no. Get, come, come in and get him, boys. <laughs> no, no. This whole thing's been a shell game to get you to admit to, to murdering Gene Wilder in an arcane ritual. <laughs> you won't take me alive. Bang, bang, bang. You're dead now. No. Too bad. Part of the trouble of being the Gene Wilder. Oh, he's still I'm, talking. <laughs> I'm immune to bullets. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> you see these red hot globes wait, wait floating. Uh, uh, what, 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 what are you not immune to? I'm, I'm not going to tell you. That would have uh, been very nuts. Gene Wilde of me to do. So, the can, movie. No, okay. Can I? Okay, hi, anonymous men who entered with guns. Can you just hand me your guns before you go? No, no, please. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them to Charlton Heston for his collection and his archives. No, I'm sorry. We, 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 have, we have to pay for our own guns. Oh, don't and... make me use my Gene Wilde powers on bang, you. Bang, 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 bang. Wait, what? Oh, oh, I, I, I forgot. Def- I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, and that's why I deflected all the bullets back into you, killing you all. Ugh. These are your final words. Do you have anything you wish to say? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> So, Finn, I'm sorry about that. You know how hard it's been, how much I keep getting recognized as the Gene Wildest. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm like in the first act of John Wick 3. I can't walk somewhere without someone checking their phone and then attacking me in a public place. Yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta stab a dude with a pencil. Oh, no, it's in John Wick 2. I'm sorry. No, 
Yeah, no, the that's the one with the book is Yeah. And, yeah. He 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 kills the sumo wrestler guy with the pencil in John Wick right, Two. Yes. Yeah. God, what a good movie. Um it's just I have you seen the trailer for the Moby documentary that's just called Moby Doc that he wrote and co directed? No. Uh it, it starts with of course bits of extreme ways, but played mm. slowly and mournfully, and then he goes like I had everything I ever wanted. But was I happy? No. And I and watching that, I'm like, Moby, in making this film about himself and being sad, has finally expressed what the feelings of being the Gene Wildest is actually like. Uh, I've, I've got to say, I, I, I watched and rewatched all of the uh, all, all, all the Bourne films. For, uh, I watched the first two for the first time. Rewatched the third one, and. Uh, Extreme Ways fucking rules. Extreme that, Ways are back again. That song's very, very good. Extreme Places I didn't know. I mm. broke everything new again, yeah. everything that I don't. Well, it, 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 it fucking, it fucking bangs. Fucking, fucking bangs. Fucking bing bong. That's what I suppose. Taxi! <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he's ta- uh, <laughs> Finn is flashing a light in his own face, um, which just 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 on the off chance I could give myself a fit. Uh, Finn, we will get back on subject, but just entirely off topic. What is Elliot Kalen's new show called? The animated one. We call it Housebroken or something. That's right. Yeah, it's about a bunch of pets that get people to cheat on their on their spouses. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Let's 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 fuck this homewrecker, not housebreaker. Fuck, the joke doesn't work. First time for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the fucking crocodiles are back! <laughs> Look, I killed your leader. I thought I killed all of you. You didn't. You didn't get the eggs. The eggs have all hatched. You're telling me that I now have to leave for a little bit just to crush every crocodile egg on Earth? No, no, all all of the eggs hatched. There's a whole, there's a whole new generation of crocodiles. Okay, Finn. No, no, I'm a crocodile. Bang, bang. Okay, okay, Finn. (laughs) I'm just gonna leave five minutes, but you just summarize the plot of the rest of of Touch of Evil, and when you're done, I'll come back. Having killed every crocodile on earth. Okay. And that's why they call me the crocodile hunter or sea hunter. No, the C stands for cunt. cunt, Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to go now. Okay. Hey, you for why are you slapping the table? (laughs) Footsteps, 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 (laughs) footsteps. Door opening noise. Turning back to fin noise. Stay safe, buddy. Thanks, man. Closing door noise. I closed the door without stepping through it. Sorry, opening door noise. <laughs> Look back to Finn noise. Hey, sometimes the second serving is better than the first. Stepping through it. door noise. Closing door noise. Other side of door talking noise. Uh, do you want, I'll, I'll be going by the shops. Do you want, do you want anything? Uh, I think we're having a special on pineapple lumps at uh, a countdown. Can you get two bags? Yeah, yeah, two for four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty, we've got some in the freezer oh. right, right, right now. They're freezing up. It's a good special. Anyway, that, that, that's it. I'll, I'll see you see I mean, you, you later. can get the, the slightly cheap, like there's the $1.70 bags of generic, and they're not as good. No, but they're, 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 they're not. They're not as good. But they fr- you freeze them up. You freeze them up. 
Anyway, um, yeah, I'll just be going, walking further away from the door noise. Gunshot. (laughs) 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 That's that's me killing the first crocodile. No, it's not. Uh, I guess I'll... (laughs) Oh, I mean, I, 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 I guess I'll be finishing up this episode by myself. Uh, luckily, we... Uh, okay. It's me, Yutha, on the phone. That was me shooting a crocodile. Oh, and now oh. I'll do the rest of the plot of Touch of Evil. Okay, oh, bye. Wow. Oh, wow. You, 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 you've, you've did, a, did a promising young woman where he, where he recorded a message to send, to send after he was dead. Crazy. Luckily, we, we, we've already recorded the, the Casino Royale half of this the show, so Yutha will be there for that. But... Uh, I guess, I guess the rest of this is going to be me. <laughs> so the thing about Touch of Evil is uh, there's just there's just a little bit of evil, you know, not too much, just enough, the the exact right amount. There's a bit of crime, a bit of corruption, a bit of murder. Ooh. You know, at some point, people do reefer. Crazy. What is the world coming to? <laughs> so. I say so a lot in this podcast, and I think it's because I've got nothing else to say. So. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 missed, you missed a good bit. <laughs> Hi, Jutha, on the phone. I wasn't promising young woman. Spoilers, by the way. Um, I'm fine and alive. And also, who are you talking to, Finn? There's no one else in the room with... Wait, wait, how how could you hear me if if there's no one else in the room? Oh, no. Am I tripping on drugs again? Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff happens in this movie. So uh, after, after the explosion... So after the explosion, and after Janet Lee is sent back to to the hotel by by herself, there is a scene where Vargas and Quinlan and and all the other cops they check out some places around town. They go to a strip club to try and interview some people there. And uh, when when they walk out back of the strip club, Quinlan sees a house which is owned by Marlena Dietrich, uh, playing the character of Tanya, uh, who is I, f- I think the place is supposed to be a brothel, but they they never really get like that much into it. But uh, so Quin- Quinlan goes in there and goes to see Marlene Dietrich. Uh, she uh, doesn't know who he is until he's like, and she's like, oh, wow, I uh, don't recognize you. <laughs> you, uh, you, you're like uh, real, uh, you're real gross looking now. And he's like, yeah, I used to be hot and drunk. And then she's like, "Yeah, I remember when you used to be hot and drunk, but but now now he's now now he's on the wagon and he's uh, not hot. Uh, he 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 doesn't drink anymore, but uh, he loves a he loves a candy bar. Oh, he loves a candy, a candy. <laughs> what is he? See Rutger Hauer in Split Second because he's a he's a police officer who's addicted to candy bars. Oh God, worst episode ever. So." It just really feels like something's missing from this episode, you know. Feels like there's usually, I don't know, you 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 usually usually another voice, and usually there's like an- another another presence to uh, to make sure I don't just do this for <laughs> fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, Hello? hey, Finn, it's me. I'm oh. about halfway through killing all those crocodiles. Oh, yeah. How are you doing on your simple task oh, of I'm, summarizing I'm, the rest of the plot? Oh, I'm, 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 I mean, am, look, am I, am I a, like a pretty flat fish? Because I am floundering. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should just simply recount the rest of the plot. And just, oh, I I've, just I've got... want to remind you that as I am the crocodile hunter, the one test I use to determine whether someone is human and thus should live is whether they can recount the plot of Touch of Evil in about five to ten minutes alone and and unprompted. Okay, bye. If you want to live, just do it now. Bye. Oh, wow. What an ominous phone call. (laughs) (laughs) Ring, 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 ring. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Finn, I'm just calling to apologize. I, I laughed so loud after a previous phone call that you may have heard it. Yeah, way over it, there. Seems, <laughs> it seems to like float into the room out of the ether. My sonic booming laughter blanketed <laughs> the world for but a moment. Oh, like Zack Snyder's Justice League, where Superman's death scream like activates all the mother boxes. It's actually the other way around. As Snyder was inspired by me and not Vixavix. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Bye. Boop. what a weird guy (laughs) while they're checking out the strip club uh, a a, a dude uh, comes and tries to throw acid on Vargas and uh, he tries to fight him but the guy gets away Uh, then uh, then he he sees all the other cops and Quinlan's like I tried to throw acid on you and and he goes and he goes back to the hotel sees his wife for a second Uh, she, she, she goes up to her room uh, where, uh, where, where a guy in the, uh, where a guy in a neighboring building is just, just like shines a flashlight on her, just, just to, just to like bug her, because uh, as, as we already said, uh, Janet Lee uh, never has a good time in hotels. She, she just shouldn't be allowed there. So, like, just, just go to an Airbnb. It'll be cheaper. You'll be fine. Actually, I guess, I guess there's a motel in this movie, and I guess it's a motel in, in Psycho as well. Okay, so. Scratch that. She's fine. She's fine in hotels. It's just mo- it's motels are to be issue. If if you if you can motor there, no, no, it's it's a it's a no no. You're gonna get murdered, Janet Lee. But if you can if if you can motor there, you'll be fine. This <laughs> is. <laughs> Just like a really low moment for me. I barely even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> like, at, 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 at the beginning of at the beginning of the episode, you you asked me like, what's the most psychedelic experience we've ever had? I think it's this. <laughs> I think it's me standing here trying to talk about this movie while you just fucking stares at me in silence. It's like <laughs> it it feels like I'm going insane. It's. It's really genuinely bad. <laughs> it's like when, 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 because for some reason I, I, I decided to like take the microphone out and stand up, like I'm, like I'm, like I'm, like I'm doing some comedy. And you, you really need like audience reactions when you're doing that. And the fact that this entire bit relies on him not saying anything and giving me nothing uh, means that I feel like I'm bombing, which uh, it's. Like, it's been two years since I've done comedy. 
I've forgotten how bad it feels to bomb, you know? Like, the, 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 the last few times I've done anything close to comedy is when I was, like, was when I was, like, hanging out with my, my like, three-year-old niece. And you can just do anything, and it fucking murders. I'm so funny to a three-year-old. But now, now I'm back here just do just try trying to trying to say something to this fucking stone-faced 34 year old 33 okay anyway then then there's a bunch of crimes and uh then then Hank Quinlan gets shot and the movie's over <laughs> I did it Footsteps, 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 door opening noise. Hey, hey Finn, how, how, how'd you going? Go, going pretty good. We're all, all, all done with the plot summary. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Just one quite delicate question. Yeah. Uh, why is the world just covered in smears of your shit? Oh, uh, that's because I went insane. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's probably why. I mean, that's... I'm not sure about your use of the word insane there because though mm. we don't want to demonize the mentally ill. So did you did you say what your opinion on Touch of Evil is? Out of, uh, okay, let's, I'll make it no calm yeah, down. Let, please let's calm say down. what I did. Please you're not wearing any clothes. <laughs> the only thing on your body is a flimsy suit of armor you've made entirely out of pencils. Yeah. Did you think it was it good or bad? Was it let's say shite or sound? Uh, I'd say uh, uh, I'd say that uh, because it led me to having the experience I just had, it's shite. <laughs> it's a bad movie. I never want to think about it again. Well, I uh, uh, my, my opinion, caked as I am in the blood of every crocodile. <laughs> yeah, how, how 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 did that go for you, by the way? Oh, it's it's old hand to me. It's, yeah, it was a, barely a task at okay. this point. Like. You know, like waking up, I do it all without really thinking about it. Did you? Uh, did did you? Did you make sure to to to? Did you make sure to get the eggs inside the inside one of the lockers in Madison Square Garden? <laughs> no, those are Godzilla eggs. Oh, okay. And, <laughs> and we destroyed them ages ago. But like, yes, I know everyone always wants to ask, but is too afraid to. Yes, as every single crocodile I killed was dying, they screamed out with their human mouth for their loved ones, and it it does take quite a toll. But good, luckily I'm not an emotional person. (laughs) I think Touch of Evil is uh, um, a masterpiece of directing uh, with, with an incredible lead performance. And I want to say shy on those terms, but like, and like it is, it's great. Yeah. But also how, even as much as like the twist is, is that the Mexican forces are uncorrupt and it's the American forces that are corrupt. Just the amount of brown face in this film, I want to say it is marginally, it is like a shite masterpiece. Do you know what I mean? It's like a master shite. Do you, but we would both like, how many stars would you give it? Uh, out, out of, out of, uh, out, out of how many? Well, what, what, what's the maximum number of stars? Like five. It's always five. Oh, You're then, not a then, fucking hotel. It's five. Yeah. Then, then like, like four and a half. Yeah. I would, I'd give it four, four and a half too. Mm. Um, 
even while, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're also turd emojis. Would you be interested in hearing the views of someone who gave it one half of a star? No, what if I told you this opinion came from one of your favorite film critics on letterbox.com? It's geezer61. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, I would also like to go back and try and talk about like some other parts of a movie first. There was what wasn't I? Well, I so, had to go kill all well, those yeah, crocodiles. There were parts that I was talking about. Where I was like, "Hey, I, oh, I wonder what you think about this part." Okay, man, why not shoot them my way? Yeah. So uh, I was what, out of the room. Yeah. So, so what did you think about uh, everything from uh, the beginning of a film onwards? Oh, it's all great. Uh, it, 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 it's it, it's a symphony of thriller storytelling, always like introducing new, bizarre, terrifying elements. And like in the time when members of the Grande family kidnap old uh, Janet Lee mm. and force her to take drugs, suddenly with them is this like terrifying woman who is like, ooh. I hope you have a good night. Yeah. It doesn't appear anywhere else. It's a cameo by someone semi-famous. Yeah, she, she she's also like kind of German. Yeah, yeah. And the the times I've seen this movie, she she's always seemed very like lesbian coded to me. I'm a, like I don't I see how I've never had that, but also mm. I just haven't thought of it. Mm. You know, in the motel that Janet Lee is is moved to after the Grande family start fucking with her at the, at the first hotel. Everyone in the second hotel is palpably threatening. Or, or at least, like, and, and, or at in least a way that I off. think trades a lot on racism. Yeah, but I mean, the first person who was threatening is 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 Dennis Weaver as as the night manager, who is just giving one of the most bizarre performances in a movie. Yeah, he is. What would you call what he's doing? Because it is kind of like a I mean, bizarre I, 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 clown I, I, routine. Yeah, I, I I would call his 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 stick like uh, uh, I, I would call it like Goy Woody Allen. Goody Allen, yeah, or Woody L. Goy. Woody L. Goy is funnier. Good one, Yutha. Thanks, Yutha. It's me, mm. the Riddler, Finn. Yeah. Um, but like that moment where she just suddenly appears, she just drops into the film and is like, "Hi," mm. and, and she never comes back. I think. Yeah. You're you're absolutely like, well, you, of course she's in this film. Yeah. Like, um, Wells does such a job, uh, does such a good job of architecting a mood and place. Um, and that's what I th- where so many revelations. He creates the perfect world for a noir mystery like this to occur because you know the first place they go to Jaja Gabor is running a strip joint and mm-hmm. then he goes outside and meets Marlena Dietrich who is this woman who's a fortune teller that runs what is probably a brothel yeah and, and is famous for making very good chili and and like you you just as an audience member you're like oh yeah of course this all computes this yeah. all this is how like, it works it, yeah like if, if every character is is like interesting and and feels like there is a backstory to them, but also feels like they could be a murderer. And I think that's really successful. Yeah, I do think it also trades a lot on Mexican imagery, on racist Mexican imagery, to get to that point. I think that's true, but I think that's also part of the point of the film. It, it is maybe less effectively subversive than it wants to be, but yeah, but, very but, but, much. But, so, but I, I think, think yeah, but Wells is. Of all of the major American filmmakers of that era, Wells is one of the ones who you can be like, 
who who can really point to me like in, in a movie about a racist American police officer who has made a career out of framing Mexicans. You can be one hundred percent sure that Orson Welles is not on that dude's side. Yeah, but he also and like yeah, it's yeah. how the film got made. But also the leaders are white men browned up. Yeah, like I, both of those things can be true. Yes, as I said in the book and in the script, mm. he was a white man with a Mexican wife. Mm. And that changes one Wells made. And I can understand Wells being like, I will make this progressive by making my lead Mexican. Yeah. And I understand that you can't get a film made. And like Wells knows the struggle to get a film mm. made after his first one, yes. <laughs> which was yeah, the, the best deal anyone ever got. <laughs> um, but I do think he should have known better. I think it's a pretty big mark against it. But it's still great. Still mm. see it. It's just racist. You know, it's like, I know you don't smoke, but I'd recommend you see Steamboat Willie, <laughs> which is just full of chewing tobacco content. Like, about half of Steamboat Willie is dip content, and oh, yeah. the other half is attempted upskirting. Oh, yeah, because that, that, that was all of American culture until about 1960 was, was chewing tobacco. Oh, uh, yeah. So, do you want to hear this review, this half-star review of The Touch of Evil? It's uh, just touch of evil. Yeah, it's just touch of evil. Yeah, in in quotes. Well, and and also I said before it's sh- uh, I said before that it's shite. I was uh, I was doing a bit before uh, this film is actually sound. I am. and like it, it it is it's not my favorite of Orson Welles uh, films that he's directed, but uh, like it is it is up there, and I've not seen a bad film that he made. So Finn, yeah, I know there's only one person you care about more than Orson Welles. And that's Geezer 61 yeah. on Letterboxd. I hope, hold on to your nerves. Because they gave Touch of Evil half a star. What? Do you want to hear the justification? Uh, I'm, I mean, yes, but only because I'm not sure anyone could justify that. This is what Geezer 61 says. It's time to take this one out of the jar of preserves and let it rot. Yes, the opening scene is marvellous. See it for that, and then turn it off. Yes, again to the claustrophobic scene where the patsy is set up. Wells' personal mass and corruption fill the whole screen, while all the bit players, in every sense, are in perfect focus. But what a collection of stupid lines and hokey characters! While we marvel at the star power in the main parts, we are struck with secondary actors trying to make the best of stupid lines within stupid scenes nest inside of pretty of a pretty silly storyline. And no, no, no. To Charlton Heston as a Mexican national. Sure, it was done back then, but the man wasn't in any way, shape, or form convincing. The insult to the injury, if you will. It doesn't stand, it never did. And if it had been made by a lesser name, it would have been forgotten. So so th- th- this person thinks that Heston should have done the accent? No, they should have cast a Mexican actor, I believe is their point. Well, no, no, their complaint is he's not convincing. Okay, but do, doing the accent would not make him more convincing. What if he was good at it? <laughs> no, no, okay. All right. So, so like the thing that I like about Charlton Heston in this is he's just doing Charlton Heston. There is no point where he particularly tries to see Mexican. Like he, he's not doing Rod Steiger in A Festival of Dynamite. Yeah. He, he's, he's he's not doing like Eli Wallach in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 
he's he's just Charlton Heston. Have us doing a brown face. Like I accept everything you've just said, but I also want you to become aware that I have just got some important legal documents from the devil you're advocating <laughs> for. And you and do know as, this this devil is racism. As we've been over before you for I'm pro devil's advocate and I think they're always right. Uh, yeah, but the devil you are advocating for is racism. Are you No, just, the, the devil I'm advocating for is Charlton Heston, which is um, probably yeah, even yeah, worse. No, I'd call them synonyms at this point. <laughs> so Giza 61, do you want to know what their top four films are? Sure. I think this is a classic American film person top four. Um, Fight Club. No, no, no. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I, I think you'll get the vibe. So one, uh, what's better than this? Just guys being dudes. Good fellas. Yeah. yeah. The next one, uh, like a lot of, it was a forming point for a lot of people, old, good director at the time, and people bathed in a lot of the reflected glory. Pulp Fiction. The reflected glory. Oh. Uh, 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 it's going to take you hundreds of takes to get this one right. Oh, is it The Shining? <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, good fellas, The Shining, mm. you're getting the vibe. The next one, uh, uh, it's one of the few things where I can flatly say the title is definitely a lie. Uh, good time. <laughs> you're in the right area. <laughs> Uh, happiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're in the John the Year. Yeah, nineteen forty six. It's a wonderful life. Yep. Yeah. And the last one. No, but the, the point of that is that his life is wonderful, and he just wasn't appreciating it before. No, but speaking generally. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> if if I was like, hey Finn, I'm starting my new position. Uh, at the maternity hospital, I welcome every baby to the world with the one true statement, which is welcome. It's a wonderful life. You would have me sued for slander and libel. And the last yeah, one... I've just been looking for an excuse to do that. <laughs> and the last one, uh, it's a I'm, big summer blockbuster. I'm, I'm going to take you down, you... Oh, my God. <laughs> this last one, big summer blockbuster. And ain't that the tooth? 10,000 BC. <laughs> no more clues. I'm so proud of this clue. I'm sure you can get it off it. Uh, teeth. The movie about vagina dentata. Did you almost say Vegeta dentata? Probably. <laughs> okay. I mean, he, he does have teeth. You're in the right I'm area. Technically correct. Um, but were those big summer blockbusters? Yes. And ain't that the tooth? You've got a shark it, mind. You can think about oh, this. Right, right against Jaws. <laughs> yeah, right, you're, just... you see how good my clue was? <laughs> it was a good clue, right? Finn, agree with me when I'm talking to you. You can't shut up before now. Silence, nothing. Are you giving me a taste of my own medicine? Because I will have you know, I have no such qualms about filling your yeah, space. Abracadabra, alakazoo, here begins my... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, what is it called? The American legal shit that has destroyed the country? 
Filibuster? The filibuster. The Euthadine filibuster. Hello, and welcome to Shite and Sound with me, Euther Shite, and no one else. Just the sound of my beautiful voice. This week, we're discussing a film. Oh, let me tell you, if you had a friend called Cassie, and she had two friends called Roy and Al, and you attacked her, she'd go, Cassie, no! Roy, Al, help me! Why did she say her own name to introduce herself? It's a mystery. We're not talking about the 1950s one. We're not talking about the 2000s one that's right the best cassie no roy al is 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 the 2006 one i mean kind of empirically we're talking about 1967's five directed 10 writers 11 writers 11 writers peter sellers woody alan orson wells isla andresum up the comedy and, question mark and david niven oh that's right old navy divin yeah the, a man who's only in this film just to give smug question setters at pub quizzes a trick question, even though more than once they have been challenged on the wording of their question because David Niven in this film, it's not an official EON production, so he's not an official bond. And yes, both of those times I have argued with those quiz pub masters, mm -hmm. and both of those times they've given me the point because I am what? Relentless. <laughs> there's one thing i care about and that is yes david niven it should be on your list of james bond on your list of official james bonds no he's about as official as an orgasming fish al who's one of cassie's friends from earlier anyway so the story of this film is quite interesting as it comes from the source of all of like the reason never say never again could happen um is that there's an odd fragmentation at least at this point in the 60s in the bond rights so there's a point where um uh, uh, like Thunderball turned into Never Say Never Again and Casino Royale was bought separate from the whole James Bond IP turned into the TV thing the license went around a bit and people wanted to make this film as like a legitimate thing and it went through several writers several directors especially as Corn Shonery um <laughs> Uh, he Finn is uh, using the label maker, he, I, which now I believe makes him the person who's used it the most ever. Um, uh, and it slowly evolved into I was like, let's turn this. It's it's 1967. It's the year the prisoner comes out. Psychedelia comedy. That's what everything is doing. Let's make a comedy in that style. And oh, did they? Technically, yes, they did. Finn has applied a label to his forehead. <laughs> Just says fuck exclamation mark. Um, I think it would have been funnier if it was full stop, like it was right. just like just like fuck, as opposed to like fuck. And so um there are many disagreements on set, five directors, eleven writers, and um it's it's pretty crazy. Let, 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 let's just talk about who those five directors and eleven writers are. Yeah. Because, it, I mean, it, it, is, it is, it makes a total I'm, I'm sorry, no. I cede my time. Thank you. Um, I may take it up later, though. When you look at everyone who's involved with this, it makes sense that it's a fucking mess that does not work. Yeah. But it, also, 
It does make sense that that so little of it works. And this is a mess in a way that is actually in some ways hard to, to, to express without telling people to see it, which I want to be clear they should not do. Yeah. Um, and that, like, sometimes, you know, food's a mess when you, like, you try and make an omelette and it turns into scrambled eggs, right? There are a lot of films that are like that. In this case, it is more like you tried to scramble an omelette, the oven exploded, and so someone walks in and sees you half on fire with egg all over the floor. Like, there's nothing really edible there, mm. even though cooking has technically occurred and a meal is technically I I, being presented. I, I thought you seeded your time. No, you were looking something up. I apologize. No, I, I was... I was I was done about two minutes ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about who all these writers are. Well, we're doing, doing the directors first. Oh, okay. Let's so, talk about who all these writers are. The, 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 the first credited director is John Houston. Yeah. Who's like, like not, not, not like not only one of the like great directors of all Hollywood, also one of the great actors. Mm. He directed the Maltese Falcon, directed the treasure of the Sierra Madre, the African queen, the asphalt jungle, Key Largo, Annie, the misfits, the second director, is uh, Robert Parrish, who I guess was just some sort of guy. He 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 was an actor in City Lights, Sunrise, and All Quiet on on the Western Front. Oh wow! He does not like to talk in film. No, he 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 did uh, uh, he did sound for Stagecoach and The Grapes of Wrath. He was an editor on a few films, and then he directed uh, a bunch of stuff, which like essentially nothing of note. But he, but he he directed this. Uh, well, parts of it. Uh, then there is uh, Val Guest, who was a uh, British film director who directed a lot of Equatomass films. Oh yeah, yeah, the 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 Hammer ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then there is a guy called Joseph McGrath, who was a Scottish director, who again seems to have done almost nothing of note. Okay, so he was a a collaborator of Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers. Ah, uh, yes. So I, I I guess he directed the a, a lot of the Peter Sellers stuff. And then the final director is a guy called Ken Hughes, who is most famous for directing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And there's there's some stuff in this which feels kind of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang-y. In the... And there is a car chase. (laughs) And there are very bright colors, you know? So then the the writers. Uh, Woody Allen is a credited writer. Yeah, even though he just improvised on set. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he... Yeah, it's great. Like writing all of all of his scenes. And but Woody Allen's the real Woody Allen fact that's attached to this is that he was so stunned by the madness that was on set that he decided he could direct a film. Ah. So thanks, Casino Royale. Ah. Thank you for that. Another another thing to to love this movie for. Uh, then, then obviously Ian Fleming is credited as a writer. Ah, yeah. uh, uh, I, I assume he didn't have much to do with this. I don't. It's not really his vibe. Mm. I mean, he is also the guy who wrote Chitty yes. Chitty Bang Bang, though. He, he is. Then we have Billy Wilder, who I, I, I don't know what parts of his Billy Wilder was supposed to have written. I mean, I presume gags. Like, there yeah, was a lot, yeah, like, yeah. one of those people... Like, one of the credited writers was brought oh, yeah, on by I, Peter I, Sellers just to write Peter Sellers funnier jokes so he would show up everyone else. Like, yeah, and, and there's I a guess, lot of shit like yeah, that. I guess this, so. this is sort of the, like, downslope of, of Billy Wilder's career. So it it, 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 makes, it makes a sort of sense, I guess, to he'd do this or work for higher stuff. Uh, uh, then uh, Ben Hecht, who's, like, one of the, like, one, one, one of the great screenwriters. He wrote Rope. 
He wrote uh, Gone for Wind, Strangers on a Train, Notorious, His Girl Friday, Stagecoach, Spellbound, The Shop Around the Corner, uh, Scarface, Gilda, uh, Foreign Correspondent. Just like and 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 an insanely good, insanely good back catalog of of Ben Hecht films. Yeah. Again, no, not 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 none of this feels very Ben Hecht-y to me. I mean, does it feel anyone a? Because we no, look- like yeah, it, it it if yeah, as I said at the beginning, the 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 only sense I get from this is this was made in England in the late sixties, and that and that 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 is, that is the thing that overrides every single person's sensibility well and and like a pair but it's also like a parody of that idea of like what yeah. would a film be like if it was made like that and i think and like almost the interesting thing about this film is how as much as each like unit of it is clearly unique is is designed to be its own thing yeah they all mash together so much that there is that they all seem the same. Mm. It, it is like if you f- like, there is an auteurship to this film, which is just people being like, "Oh, whatever, let's just do some fucking post Strange Love Madcap bullshit." Yeah, you know. Well, and, and like you mentioned, Doctor Strange Love. Like the next credited writer is Terry Southern, who wrote Doctor Strange Love, and also wrote Easy Rider and Barbarella. Yeah. Uh, so two good films and yeah. Easy Rider. Uh, then next is Peter Sellers as a credited writer. Uh, then a guy called Wolf Mankiewicz. Uh, who, yeah. uh, th- this is the most notable thing that he wrote. Uh, his his next biggest film is something called The Day the Earth Caught Fire. <laughs> I, I yeah, assume it was yes. a bad time. <laughs> I mean, what? Then, uh, uh, then, uh, then, uh, then the, the director Val Guest is credited as one of the writers. Joseph Heller? Oh yeah, who, who wrote Catch Twenty Two is the, credited on yeah, this. Yeah, the the book of Catch Twenty Two, yeah. no less. And yeah, and uh, uh, someone called John Law who did nothing else, and uh, a guy called Michael Sayers who also seems to have done nothing else. I, I, I assume they would be like Peter Sellers. Those are guys Peter Sellers. I, uh, I I believe so. Yeah. Um. But but, but yeah. So so but but this film only had one editor and one cinematographer. Uh. Okay, it was edited by a guy called Bill Lenny, who direct, uh, uh, who edited the Davy of Court Fire, and uh, the the uh, and the first uh, uh, the, the the first Christopher Lee Dracula movie, and it was it was shot by by Jack Hildyard, who shot the Bridge on the River Kwai, and and Hobson's Choice, so just like a a a, a David Lean mainstay. It is, yeah, and like, yeah, and the, 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 this is a movie that, yeah. So like a a bunch of like like John John Huston is an arguably like is, is inarguably one of one of the great Hollywood directors. Billy Wilder and Ben Hecht are two, are two of the great Hollywood screenwriters. Peter Sellers is like one of the funniest people ever to be in movies. Like Woody Allen. You know, is is someone who you can kind of take or leave, but he's someone who has a very specific comic style that yep. has worked for a very long time, and like his stuff at least feels like like Woody Allen. 
Like, there, there's yeah. at least an identity to the stuff that he does. Well, and I, because the joke of that bit was, is how funny would it be if Woody Allen was James Bond, yeah. you know, or was a James Bond villain? And Spoilers. And there, there, there is one really funny thing that Woody Allen does, and I think it was uh, not supposed to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. Well, I um, think everything in the, like this. So uh, okay, but I I I don't think it was supposed to be funny in the way that we found it funny. <laughs> Just there, 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 there is a bit where all, all all of the spies around the world are being captured, uh, and uh, and 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 Woody Allen is playing Jimmy Bond, who is the son of David Niven's Sir James Bond. Yeah, uh, and and he he is in South America. He's been captured by some soldiers, and he's going to be uh, he's going to be killed by a firing squad. Uh, he. Uh, he he asks if he can have one last cigarette, and uh, he 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 lights a cigarette uh, in, in his in his in his pocket. And uh, just as they're about to fire at him, he throws the cigarette and explodes. And then uh, there was a cut to him climbing up the wall, uh, climbing climbing up the wall he was about to be shot against. And just as he is about to climb, just just as he's about to fully climb over it, he says, "See you later, suckers." It is like I was just not expecting someone in the sixties to say that. That was so weird. And it was the hardest either of us laughed during the entire movie. I, and I think a key thing is that it's also obviously an ADR line. <laughs> like Woody Allen is not saying it climbing that wall. He yeah, is it, saying it, it in a studio in NYC. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, it, everything about it is uh, so weird and so off. I, and it's uh, very funny. It is... The plot of this film... Is so convoluted, <laughs> but basically, basically boils down to um, James Bond. David Niven has retired, yeah. and uh, now has all these critical ideas about what makes a good spy, and they are of, of course, all subtle jabs at the then ongoing cornishonery um, Bond films. Are yeah. all this womanizing, blah blah blah. But they have also, but he is. But, you know, James Bond is such a name uh, in, in Secret Agents because, of course, the best thing you you want, <laughs> the best spy you're looking yeah. for is name recognition. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to hire the world's most famous ninja. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that would be <laughs> a great example. <laughs> Why did that? It's because of holding in all my laughs from <laughs> before when I was killing those crocodiles. <laughs> it's like a Samuel Beckett play, <laughs> watching you degrade. <laughs> you might anyway. Uh, uh, just thinking about that torture I put you through. <laughs> it is funny. I like it when other people suffer. <laughs> Then you agree, Flynn? <laughs> it's your name now. I'm going to call you Flynn. So he is kind of like, they're training lots of spies who are now called James Bond. That's how Woody Allen is also James Bond. That's why um, Peter Sellers. No, I, 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 no, I think he was just called Jimmy Bond anyway. Because no, he was related. You're right. No, but like, and, and then there's Peter Sellers, who's this famous card shark who's recruited to become a James Bond yeah. so he can his, his be in like the Eve, plot. His name's like Evelyn Trumbull or something. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. And he can, so he can be in the plot of Casino Royale with Orson Welles as Le Chiffre and mm. Ursula Andress from Dr. No mm. um, as Vespa Lint. And it, it's yeah, that. Um, uh, a mohead made out of chocolate. Vespa Lint. And, and it is just 
a mash, like a saturating two and a bit hour stew well, of almost two and a half hours of of just like scenes that aren't are longer than sketches, but shorter than like what a scene you would put in things that are wall to wall with semi Zucker sight or sound gags. And and like in, in every scene, like I, I, either the joke is he, he, like here is a woman or it's like these people are Scottish. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there is, a there, is <laughs> there is an inexplicable 20, like 20 minutes of a movie, which is set in a Scottish castle where everyone's doing these terrible Scottish accents, and the one joke, the, oh no, there, sorry, there are two, there are two jokes, and it's like here, here are some women, they are Scottish. Here are some Scottish women, just for twenty fucking minutes. It's awful. Um. Okay. So, yeah, like, no. I, I, I felt like I was going to die during that bit, <laughs> and that I think is parodying the fact that Sean Connery is Scottish. Um, and, and just to comment on uh, this film's use of women, its poster, of course, yelled that in Charles K. Feldman's Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. And so there's a list of all the cast, Sellers, Andrus, Niven, Allen, Petit, Wells, Lavi, Moore. And then at the bottom is the following, plus a bandwagon full of the most beautiful and talented girls you ever saw. And it is just and like th- th- this is one of the things that every single swing in sixties English film has in common, which is which is just like the like hmm now 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 that now that you know we can have women with exposed cleavage in a movie, um, we're just gonna use them as wallpaper. Like it's true in Blow Up, the Antonioni film. It's true in the Italian Job. In every single film of this era. Now the stuff that is slightly more risque is allowed. What if every single scene was just women with their tits out with, with no other joke or no other dramatics takes? Just that every fucking time. And uh, yeah, it sucks. Um, and it is... One of, one of my least favorite eras of filmmaking. I mean, but you love Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, because that movie rules. Finn's printing out another label and he's putting it on his forehead. Well, and it's it's hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. You me on that one, didn't you? Yeah. I think uh, Russ Meyer... Is uh is less sexist than uh, than than Casino Royale. I yeah, but also those are views you'll grow out of. <laughs> I'm just saying. I hope you live to regret it. Because I have to tell you. Yep. Finn. Yep. There was one last crocodile. One last baby crocodile. Oh yeah. And they looked up at me and said, "Please." I am the last crocodile. This is a recording I made. Spare me so you are not a genocider. And I said, but my grandfather. And then the crocodile said, but you have killed my father and my grandfather. Is this not just? And like a full yes. And I realize now that the first thing that crocodile would do when it grows to full age and strength, which would be about, now yeah about like 17 or 18 minutes in the future (laughs) yeah it would be to come and find me so i just have to say that at any moment this could be interrupted by a crocodile killing me and i don't want to stop it okay so finn (laughs) talk talk me out of uh i and i just want to spend the last 
10 minutes of my life talking about how 1967's Casino Royale just does not slap. No, it doesn't. It's it's problem. Like when you look at like the re- the psychedelia that is riffing on this or it's an adjacent world, the Beatles films are hid by the monkeys. Mm. Whereas that have, have such a dated and aggressive and relentless weirdness that they become delightful curiosities, even when they are not good films. Yeah. This by its sheer middle of the road regurgitation of what it thinks the counterculture is, is a unutterably bland and uninspiring experience. This, this is one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my life, which is, but like, it's also one of the craziest and most inexplicable movies. Yeah. But when there's, and, and I think the fact that it's able to be so boring and so crazy at the same time is like kind of impressive. Yeah, it's it's yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, it is your your standard dollar shop wacky stack, where they always thought of another funny thing to do, stacking them up, and not realizing that there was nothing to support the stack. Yeah, and so it is. It's just a room full of premises, none of which are seen enough. And obviously, there was enough. You know, Orson Welles and Peter Sellers are neither in the same shot because they refuse to talk to each other. Peter Sellers because Orson Welles was too awesome <laughs> and was was too busy uh, um, insisting his character do magic tricks, which is yeah. another faintly entertaining part of the film. But like to make this kind of film, you need care, attention, and focus. Yes, and, and like there, none, well, like wasn't. there are points where you can see a lot of care, attention, and focus were put into like the art direction and the production design. There are a bunch of really cool locations and and sets. Uh, there, there, there is there, there is a point where uh, where where one of the characters uh, who is the daughter of uh, Sir James Bond and Mata Hari, uh, so her name is Mata Bond. Yeah, inc- an incredible joke. Yeah, uh, she 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 goes to like a secret spy school, and it's and it's in uh, uh, it's it's on the border of like East and West Germany, and so the entire school is like a set from the, the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Like everything is at crazy angles, yeah, and there are like all, all the like shadows painted onto the walls, and there's weird lighting, and like it, it's it's such it's like it's such it's such a good set, and if anything interesting happened there, I would have had a really good time in that part. Yeah, but it, it's just it's shame. Yeah, and it, it is there, there. There 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 is a bit where where there, there is a bit where it seems like the movie has ended, and. uh uh, uh, and then a flying saucer comes down from the sky and kidnaps the main characters, and like that should be insane yeah. and but hilarious. It's, but it's just infuriating, and they find a new way to make a different thing boring. And I like it. Did, it was not received well at the time. It didn't do mm. super great at the time. There is one other joke which I which I think which which we both genuinely laughed at. Which is uh, uh, there is there is a scene uh, where after uh, 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 after Peter Sellers as James Bond has won the uh, uh, has has won the baccarat game against uh, uh, against Le Chief played by Orson Welles uh, uh, he he is he is captured by Le Chief and put through a like mental torture thing and there are some cool like effects and they're messing with they're messing with the colors and stuff and that I, I like that bit then Ursula Andrews comes in and she. Uh, like de- she defeats the mental torture device, and now Lashif has failed and he's lost all his money. 
and uh, he 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 gets a video call from some from some assassins who have been sent to kill him, and the 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 assassin pulls out a gun and he punches his hand through the TV screen <laughs> and like puts his head through and then shoots Orson Welles in the forehead. Yeah, and like that's a really good gag. And punch through a screen yeah. is a good gag. The the yeah, and there are sparks of invention in it where it's like if you just machined it to be like this. Yeah, but like this film is by definition a curio, and I think the curio, the collection of curios it is it fits best in is not like like the nineteen fifties TV Casino Royale is much more interesting as a failure um, of adaptation within the bond realm. So it is kind of like this film is best viewed as an Orson Welles curio yes. with like two hours of bullshit surrounding yeah, well, it. Which is, yeah, the, the, the only reason I had any interest in watch in watching this is because I love Orson Welles so much. And yeah, just don't, we should mention, uh, it has a cameo from Peter O'Toole that he did for a case of champagne. No, would, would, you know, the scene where, Peter O'Toole taps Peter Sellers on the shoulder and says, excuse me, are you Richard Burton? Yeah. And Peter Sellers says, no, I'm Peter O'Toole. And it's funny because he's saying it to Peter O'Toole. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he was saying um, right. Yeah. The other two interesting cast casting pieces, this is, of course, the first film appearance of David Prowse, who would go on to become the body of Darth Vader. Yeah, he plays a, uh, he plays a Frankenstein's monster in this. And Angelica Houston. Because her hands were used in some insert shots and the bits shot by her father, John. Oh, right. Um, but I just don't... Yeah, we're once again in a lane of like... I, obviously, this film is shite, and I think it is uninteresting shite. I don't think anyone should really see this unless you love Orson Welles yeah. as much as Finn uncritically does. Uh, I uh, I also agree it's shite. I just don't know what more there is to say. Yeah. There's nothing. Just no, it, don't. It's, it's a it's a bad, unfunny film that there's no point in watching. Yeah. Uh, would you like to would you like to hear a a five star review of this film? Would you kindly? Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is a five star review of Casino Royale 1967 by Travis Wagner. Ah, Travi Wags. Yeah. This, mu- this might well be one of my new favorite satires, although it could extend from that Bond marathon I went through in June. Regardless, the cameos and the comedic geniuses on display here is something that is, that is really recreated in contemporary film. Furthermore, I really, really want the soundtrack. Like, th- th- this is a collection of uh, very talented people's worst work. I, I, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On film, there, yes, yes. There are many people in this cast who've done worse things in person. Yeah, that's why I said work. Yeah, no, but like your work is yeah, everything sure, you do. Sure, under capitalism, sure. I get it. get it. So you, when did you become so jealous of my uh, innate see- and lucid ability to just see through things? To okay, Finn. Okay, well, were you about to ask me to play the letterbox top four guessing game? Yes. Okay, I just want us to do it totally normally and i just don't because your back is to the door and i just want you to know it it's sneaking it thinks we haven't seen it but the the alligator is here to kill me okay no so we'll just play the game like, okay. like we haven't seen it okay okay uh, who'd have thought this would be the last thing i'd ever do travis wagner's top four films okay the first is a film by <laughs> lee chang dong do you know any of his films you say the name and i reckon is it minari uh no, that's Lee Isaac Chung. Yes, yes. Yeah. Lee Chang Dong is it the Lee, assassin? Uh, Lee, Lee 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 Chang. No, that, that's that's who. Uh, it's oh. uh, Lee Chang Dong is the guy who did Burning. 
Oh uh, yeah, I would have got there eventually. Yeah, I'm it's, sorry. it's, it's okay. not it's not burning though. Oh uh, no, it, no, it, then it's, no. It's another film called Secret Sunshine. Oh no, fuck no! Yes, yes, yes. I love Secret Sunshine. That oh. I'm sorry. I'm just right. I'm I'm stressed out for reasons I don't want to discuss. Was it crocodile? No, sh- <laughs> shut up! Shut up! Secret Sunshine is genuinely incredible. It's a it's a it's a great. There's some real good scenes of crying. Right. Uh, the, the and my favorite dispassionate, depressing sex scene in a South Korean drama. Yeah. And if you've seen enough of them, you'll know that that's that's actually their their, their main export. There, there's a there's a huge competition for that. Yeah. But yeah, the second film is it's about a guy. Okay, right? It's about a guy who, if someone's too warm, he can just put his hands on it and change that. Okay, is it be cool? No. Is it um, Batman and Robin? No, it's from the sixties. Oh, is it the Iceman Cometh? No. <laughs> okay. Um, is it uh the Cooler? No. Am I in the right area? I mean, you got one of you got Cool Hand Luke. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Next, we have we have a movie that takes place over one day. Ah, is it High Noon? No. Is it the first season of Twenty Four? Nope. Is it the, the second, second season, season of 24? 24? No. Oh, that trick question. Second season of 24 takes place and crosses two days. Well, you're the one who asked it. You, yeah, but you didn't catch it out. Once again, your jealousy for my <laughs> innate correctness. Okay, it takes place over one day. Yeah. Is it um, Groundhog Day? No. It's a movie with a scene where someone says, the title of a movie, and then someone else says, the title of a movie? After Hours? <laughs> no. No, okay. Uh, 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 what's a new pussycat? <laughs> nope. Who's coming to dinner? No. Who's afraid of Virginia nope. Woolf? That, uh, anyway, uh, that, that fulfills all your criteria. <laughs> um, oh, God, is it a question? Uh, no. Okay, is it? Can you give me one more clue? Okay, uh, the, 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 the name of a movie is A Piece of Advice. Be cool? No. <laughs> For to guess what's new pussycat. You have, yeah. Oh, it's the only advice I know. <laughs> I know this, right? Have oh, I seen yeah. it? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Decade. Uh, 80s. The, 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 this is uh, the third in a run of films that defined this writer, director, and sometimes star as one of, as one of the... One of the major forces in American independent cinema in the in the eighties and nineties. He's, he's smiling. He's nodding. He's going to do a bit where he says the wrong answer. No. <laughs> Why would I say the wrong answer mm-hmm. when this film's title teaches me to always break into <laughs> electric boogaloo? Do the right thing. Yeah, Let's do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Ah, oh, almost. So happy when I remembered that. I almost forgot about it's. It's behind me now. You can see it. Is it close? How many more films do we have to guess? Uh, j- just, just one more film. Okay, but 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 luckily, Yupa. Yeah, I've got this shuriken with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I missed Finn. That shuriken has has touched that oh. crocodile's murder bladder, and it can like oh no I I I, I, I put crocodile steroids on the shuriken. Is shuriken part of the clue? 
No, no. Okay, I'm dodging around the room now. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, uh, the last film. Uh, I, was, I, was about, I was about to do a clue, and I realized uh, you gave me that exact same clue for this movie a few episodes ago. So, um, uh, it, 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 you know, it's a movie about wearing a cool jacket. <laughs> Drive? No. It's also got a sequel about wearing a different sort of cool jacket. <laughs> Okay. Everyone in this movie? Collar popped. Everyone, everyone's got a cool collar. We've covered it on the podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I thought I had a bigger collar than I did. Yeah, yeah. I was going to try and wrap it around my face. And recently, too, eh? Yeah. I'm just drawing this out because I know it's the last thing I'll do before I die. Um, <laughs> on the BFI list, yeah. and you, 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 you think it shouldn't be on the list and it should be replaced by its sequel? Ah, oh, right, 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 right. So let me say the crocodile. You can come out now. Yeah, yeah. I know you've got that shuriken covered in. Crocodile amphetamines, steroids and amphetamines in your murder bladder, so you will have to eat me, but I just want my last words to be Blade Runner. Oh, it's it. Okay, scrunch, scrunch, crump, chomp, chomp, chomp. Our uh, crocodile leaving studio sounds. Well, what a surprising ending. This one's going to do big numbers. <laughs> Uh, that, 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 no, that's right shut up, it's me shut up ghosty no uh, you can't i will never leave you i'm a ghost <laughs> so uh that's it for this episode of uh shot and sound with uh finn and no longer you <laughs> no i'm a ghost no, now no, shut up. No. so uh why must you always silence the disadvantaged so uh guess what you want to find me online? You can't. I'm nowhere. I'm a ghost, but not, but like, but like a metaphorical ghost rather than, rather than like an actual, uh, like metaphysical ghost. I am, I'm a ghost in the way that like someone who's really good at using computers and like the dark web is, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Chris Hemsworth in, in Black Hat. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm that, I'm that sort of ghost, right? I think, I think his screen name of that movie is like Ghost Man or some shit, which is like, I like that movie a lot, but Ghost Man is not, not a, not a, not a good, not a good username for, for a cool hacker dude. Um, so yeah, you can't find me anywhere. Uh, don't even fucking try it. Uh, if, if, if you want to see any of the tweets that Yufa uh, did before he died, uh, ch- check out at Yufa Lives. Uh, but if, if, if you want to find this show, uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I'll be running the account from now on, uh, at uh, Shite Sound Pod, or you can email me. At shitesoundpod at gmail dot com. Uh, don't bother with Yufa's uh, with, with Yufa's newsletter. Uh, it, look, you're just you're just going to be waiting. You're going to be waiting for for a newsletter that will never come. Uh, our theme song is "The Nux by Kazam Blam. You can check him out on Bandcamp. And uh, you know, I think that uh, if 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 you like the show, I guess you can tell people about it. But uh, not sure it's going to do much good. Leave a review right. on iTunes. Next week, I'm watching Lucina Visconti's The Leopard, <laughs> which seems uh, cool and good. And with that, I am doing uh, the Sofia Coppola film Marie Antoinette, which I actually like a fair bit. I think it's got a great soundtrack. Uh, I like I like Kirsten Dunst a lot. It's got, it's got a bunch of good stuff in it. And that just leaves one thing to say. Movies are good. 
even bad ones. Go watch them. Shut up, ghosty. <laughs> thing that's news you should hear what they say about you <laughs> got them to send in some notes yeah finn nicholas is an acronym for fucking idiot <laughs> nink and poop nink and poop <laughs> nink and poop idiot cunt oh, oh look, look. <laughs> asshole shit face <laughs> i can't believe you've already read these <laughs>